Your love so deep is washing over me Your face is all I see You are my everything Jesus Christ, you are my one desire Lord, hear my only cry to know you Washing over me, your face is all I see. You are my everything, Jesus Christ. You are my one desire, Lord. Hear my only cry to know you all my life. I'm wide awake, drawing close. some of you know, this is why I'm not going to be at the men's meeting next week, uh, Emily and I are actually headed to Israel tomorrow morning. We are headed um, to Israel with uh, the bishop of the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church, the kind of part of Methodism that we're a part of and a number of other pastors. And we're getting excited. We've been kind of starting to pack our bags. I have three different sleep pillows, you know, for the airplane. You've got to have the right one. So I have three. That way, whichever one works the best, I'll be good to go. And uh, we're, we're getting excited, and so as we head out, we hope that you'll be praying for us as we travel, um, and I'll probably have tons of pictures when I get back, and that'll be fun to share. And, um, you know, we've never been before, and we're not leading the trip, we're just going on the trip, so we don't know exactly what to expect, but people say, you should expect people selling you little cheap trinkets like you have anywhere in the world when you're a tourist. You should expect to never read the Bible the same again, and you should expect to encounter God in a powerful way, and so that's what we're hoping for as we go over to Israel. And some of you might know, it's commonly called the Holy Land, um, the areas we'll be traveling to, and it's called the Holy Land because those are places where God has showed up again and again in history in powerful ways. And so these is holy ground. They're holy places. And this morning, um, as we begin wrapping up our series, we've been in the last number of weeks, first things first, we're going to look at a place in the Holy Land that, that is holy ground. It's a place where God has shown up again and again and again, and that is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, it's also known as the Lake of Gennesaret. And we have a picture here for you so you can kind of have an image of what it looks like. The sea is 13 miles wide, 8 miles long. And this is the setting of the scene where Jesus walks on water, where Jesus calmed the storm, and this was the environment where a lot of the early disciples lived. This is where they made their living. And so this is the setting for the story I want to share with you today that takes place on this holy ground. A story which I believe helps reveal to us one of the first priorities God wants us to have in our lives. It's a story that helps reveal the mission 
that Jesus has given to every single one of us. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can you know, access the Bible app on your phone or at the Welcome Center after the service. We have free Bibles for you. We'd love for you to take one of those as our gift to you. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And here is what Luke writes. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And so he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets actually began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said to him, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything. And they followed him. If you're familiar with Jesus' ministry at all, this takes place at the beginning. And Jesus' ministry, it starts off with a bang. He begins preaching and teaching in Galilee in the synagogues, and he's received well. Then he goes over um, to other places, like Nazareth, his hometown, and he's rejected. And then just before this, he begins healing people. And we see that Simon Peter, who's in this story, he's healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And you can imagine as he's healing people, that's when the crowds start forming because everybody's bringing their sick and their loved ones to him. And as he's doing his healing ministry, he's also preaching and teaching to everyone profound messages and profound truths. And so in this scene this morning, that's what's going on. Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and the crowds are getting so tight. It's like they're, they're all just coming up and he needs a little breathing room. He needs a little space so he can speak to everybody. And so he sees a couple of boats and he says, hey, let me, let me hop in one of those so I can have a little better platform. And from that boat, he preaches to them what I'm guessing is a profound message, right? I don't think Jesus had boring sermons that people were like, next, next, I'm going to go to another church. I don't like this guy, right? I mean, I don't think Jesus had messages like that. But we don't know exactly what message Jesus taught that day. Luke doesn't tell us. But instead, Luke focuses in on this powerful encounter Jesus has with Simon Peter right after his teaching. And Jesus goes to Simon Peter and he says to him, hey, why don't, you, why don't you take this boat, let's put out into deep water and put down the nets again. And now, for you and I, that might sound like a normal kind of request, right? It's nothing, nothing too complicated, okay, whatever, go fishing. But for Simon Peter and his companions, this would have been a very absurd request from Jesus. I mean, first of all, they've been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. And so now it's like, oh, you want us to go back out? Okay, Jesus. And then they've just washed their nets. They've just finished cleaning them up for the day, cleaning all of their tools and supplies. They're probably going to sleep so they can go back out the next night. So they're going to have to pull the nets back out. 
And it's also absurd because the fishermen in that day and age, they fished at night because of the water temperatures and because their nets were typically made of white linen. And so the fish would see the nets during the day. So Jesus makes this absurd request to these guys, but Simon Peter, he obliges and he says yes. He says, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And I mean, after all, Jesus did just heal his mother-in-law, and Jesus did just teach a profound message. So they oblige, and they go out into the deep water, they put down the nets, and there are so many fish that the nets about begin to break, and the boats are overflowing with fish. And when I'm reading these stories, one of the things I like to do is to try to put myself in the different character situation. And so I like to think about what would it have been like to be one of those fishermen in the boat that day? And I mean... They would have had a number of different reactions. They would have been astonished that all of these fish had been caught up in these nets. They probably would have had a little envy, right? That Jesus as carpenter is catching all of these fish when they've been fishing and they're fishermen and they didn't catch anything. There's probably a little fear as they thought, what, what is going on here? There's probably a sense of awe. And Simon Peter has this interesting reaction, not one that I would expect. He falls down at his knees and he says, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He falls on his knees in humility as he sees that, that something holy is going on in this place. As he sees the power of God at work in Jesus and the kingdom of God breaking into that moment, a kingdom full of abundance and provision. And he says, look, I, I'm not worthy to be a part of whatever is going on here. Get away from me, Lord. But Jesus comes close to him and says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And with those words, Jesus was inviting Simon Peter to leave behind an old way of life and to begin a new way of life with him, to begin a new mission in life. And so they pulled up to the shore. They left their nets behind. They left their home. They left their vocations. They left their possessions. And they went and they responded with trust and obedience. And they began following Jesus and living out this mission of fishing for people. That day, on that piece of holy ground in the holy land, everything changed for these guys. Jesus came and met them right where they were. They had a powerful encounter with him. He invited them to be a part of a new mission in life, to go and to fish for people. And because they responded with trust and obedience, everything changed. They went and fished for people who went and fished for people who went and fished for people. And now our church is a descendant of their ministry. And if you think about it, their story is our story. See, like them, Jesus comes to us and he meets us right where we are. And so many of us in here have had a profound encounter with Jesus. We've had our lives transformed by him. We've experienced the forgiveness he desires for us. We've felt his love in our hearts and our lives. And Jesus has invited us to be a part of his new mission. But so many of us have stopped halfway. We've met Jesus. We've received his grace. But we haven't quite started living out that new mission of fishing for people. We haven't done it, and I think there's a number of reasons 
why so many of us don't do it. Why we only go halfway. I mean, some people, this is the first time you've ever heard this story, and you're like, this is interesting. And so that's why you haven't done it, and that's okay. But others of us, we grew up in the church, right? We've, we've heard about fishing for people since we made all those little crafts at Vacation Bible School, you know, with a little dowel rod and a string and a magnet and a paper clip, right? We've done those crafts. We've heard people say this over and over again. And yet, for so many of us, this is something that's hard to live out. And there are a number of reasons why I think that is. And one of them is that I think when we, when we think of fishing for people, sometimes that's kind of a confusing metaphor for us. Because we think, okay, fishing for people. Jesus wants us to go and to catch people and to use them for our own purposes like we would do fish, right? That's kind of a weird way to think about it. That's catching and keeping, and that, that's one way to fish. But I think Jesus here, he isn't talking about catching and keeping. He's talking about catching and releasing. Jesus is calling us to go to people and help them get caught up in his grace, his love, his mercy, and forgiveness, and experience the release that he desires for us. A release from our sins, from our past, a release from everything holding us back from the person that God wants us to be. That's what Jesus desires for us when he says we're to fish for people. He's talking about us sharing our faith, sharing his love with other people. In the church, we often call this evangelism, which simply means sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for some of us, I think the reason we, we haven't done this is because it hasn't made a ton of sense. But others of us, we know that's what Jesus is talking about. We know he's calling us to go and to share our faith. But I think some of us don't do it because we've seen it done so poorly in the past. Some of you know this, that I, I love going to the city of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Anybody here ever been to Gatlinburg? I just like, I just like it. It's a fun place in the mountains. You go hiking in the Smokies. Go to all the fudge shops. I like to see how many samples I can get before they stop giving them to me. <laughs> if you get four pieces of praline, it makes up one praline and you don't have to buy one, you know? So I like doing all of that. And Emily and I were there a little while back, just hanging out downtown, people watching, because it's a great place to people watch. And we were there, and, and you know, the, the strip there, like all these cars were driving by all the time, but there was this one car that kept driving by, and I noticed it because this is what the car looked like. This van kept driving by, and it says, hell is waiting, repent. And it has these, these pictures of people burning on them. And if you notice over here, it says, your name here. So you can, like, take a picture or something, I guess. So we're, we're standing there on the, the road, and this van keeps driving by. And I couldn't help but think, this is what a lot of people have in their minds when they think of evangelism and sharing their faith. And I'm not going to do a poll here to see how many people came to know the love of Jesus through a van like this, just cruising by through their neighborhood. But my guess is, is not that many here today. But this is what we often think about when we think about evangelism. This is what our culture thinks about. And so we say, if that's what it requires, or if it requires going up and knocking on strangers' doors, like, I, I don't know about all of that. And so we, we've been hesitant to live out this calling to fish for people. So we think there's got to be a better way. And some of us know there are, there are other ways besides that to share our faith, but, but we tend to think, you know what? I don't, I don't know enough to share my faith. 
I've never taken a class in apologetics. I've never read through the Bible the whole way. What if somebody asks me a, a tough question that I don't know the answer to? Or we think, okay, maybe, maybe I need to join the church and then I'll be ready. Or maybe I need to come to church for a year consistently. Then I'll feel comfortable enough to share my faith. But the reality is most of us are never going to feel like we have enough knowledge to do it. And I think when it comes down to it, the reason most of us don't go out and fish for people, live out this command that Jesus has given us is because of fear. Fear that we're not going to say the right thing, that we're not going to do the right thing. Fear of what people will think about us. Fear that people will reject us. Or fear that people will reject God. But the words that Jesus spoke to Simon Peter that day are his words to us as well this morning. And those words are this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see, the disciples, they didn't fully understand what they were getting into. They didn't know all about Jesus yet. They didn't have their lives all neat and tidy and in a perfect package. They didn't feel ready to go. They simply had an encounter with Jesus, heard his mission, and responded with trust and obedience. And because they did, everything changed. And the truth this morning is that God wants to change the world. And God wants to change someone else's world as he works through you. He wants to use you to help spread his message of good news, of great joy to all people. But before you go out and you begin fishing for people, I feel like there's a few things you need to know about fishing. Because I know a lot of y'all in here don't fish. And so one of the first things you need to know about fishing or fishing for people is that fishing typically requires time and patience. I mean, who here, who here fishes on a regular basis? Anybody? Yeah, you know this if you've been fishing, right? I mean, the disciples, they had been fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. And this is a normal part of fishing. You go out there, you throw the line in, and you don't catch anything a lot of days. And that's why a lot of people don't fish in our culture anymore because we want instant gratification. And so we can't wait. It's one of the reasons why I don't always like fishing. And it's the same way with fishing for people. So often it requires us to go out and to model and show the grace of Jesus Christ with our words and with our actions on a daily and on a consistent basis over and over again. But because we live in this instant gratification culture, we want to see results instantly. We want to invite our coworker to church and pray for them for like two minutes, two days in a row, and expect them to just respond and be super excited to come to church with us. But a lot of times that's not how it works. Or it's the new year and we're like, you know what, I'm not going to cuss and cause fights and cause arguments at work anymore. I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to try to love people. And then maybe after like two weeks of, of being good and not screaming at people, then somebody's going to come up to me and ask me, what happened? I want to have what you have, right? We think that's how it's going to work. It's going to be that quick and that easy. And sometimes God works in powerful and instantaneous ways like that. But a lot of times what happens is God works slowly over time through our relationships to draw people to himself. 
A lot of times, like we talked about last week, it takes consistently modeling, showing, and telling the love of God to people over and over again before they really get caught up in it. Fishing, a lot of times, takes time, and it takes patience. But God wants us to persevere in this work. And a lot of the fishing I did, pretty much the only fishing I do now is down at Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Growing up there, my grandmother had a house, and so we would go regularly, and whenever we were down there, we'd go fishing. I talked about this in one of my early sermons, and down there, I have a picture here of kind of the area where we would go fishing, and you'll see there's houses on this side, then there's the golf course, which it costs a ton of money to play right there on this golf course, and then there is the marsh where a lot of the fish are. And so what we would do is we knew that there was some good fishing there, and so we would get on our boots, because you have to wear the mud boots because it's all the pluff mud in there. We would get our tackle box and our fishing poles, and we would kind of go through the neighborhoods, and then we would wait at the sidewalk, and we would look and see if any of the golfers were coming or if any of the golf rangers were out. And if they weren't out, we would run across the golf course into the marsh and go fishing right out here in these little inlets. And then we'd run back across with our fish at the end and sometimes dirty up the golf course, but that's okay. So we would be out there and we would be in the sun, in the gnats, in the mud. And do you know why we did all of that? We did all of that because that's where the fish were. The fish weren't going to jump across the golf course and hop onto the grill. We had to go to them. And that's the truth with catching fish. You can't wait for them to come to you. You have to go to where they are. Jesus knew this. If you look, he didn't say, hey, guys, drop your nets. There's going to be a ton of fish right here. No, what did he do? He said, go, put out into the deep water. Then cast your nets because that's where the fish were. Jesus, he didn't wait for us to find him. No, in the incarnation, he left heaven and came and found us. Jesus went and preached in the synagogues to the religious people, but he also moved from the synagogues to the lakeside to preach and teach to other people as well. And for us, if we're going to fish for people and reach people who are far from God, it's going to require us to go to them instead of just waiting for them to come here. It's going to require us stepping out of our little comfort bubbles that we've created for ourselves and to risk vulnerability and to risk in relationships and risk having relationships with new people. And this is something that a lot of churches struggle with. Because a lot of churches want to reach people who are far from God and they want to help spread the good news of the kingdom. But they're not willing to get messy in the process. And so when churches start doing this and start doing outreach, then people start saying, well, I... I mean, I, I, I want to love people, but that's just not the best part of town. I don't know if we should do a block party over there. Or, I love all of these kids are coming here and all the students, you know, all these new people we're reaching are coming here, but I don't know if they're the best influence on our kids. Or, you know what, I love doing ministry with, with those people, but what are people in the community going to think of us as a church? Are they going to think that we're, we're condoning that behavior if, if we're spending time with them? I mean, that's what people said about Jesus, right? They said that he was hanging out in the wrong places, that he was hanging out with people he shouldn't have been hanging out with. Some people said, oh, no, no, he's approving of all that behavior because he's having those people in his house. He's going to their houses. 
But Jesus knew that for people to enter into his world, into the kingdom of God, he had to enter into their world first. And it's the same way with us. If we're going to go out and fish for people and reach people who are far from God, we have to be willing to risk, to be vulnerable, and sometimes to get messy in the process. But if you've ever been fishing, you know this to be true. The time it takes, the patience it requires, and the mess that you sometimes get in, it's all worth it when you get a catch. It's worth every minute of it. It's worth all the mess. And it doesn't take much energy to look around in our world today and see that it's broken. That people are broken. I mean, our nation is divided. Addiction to prescription drugs and so many other things is rampant. There's so much abuse, harassment in the culture all around us. I mean, the world and people's worlds are broken. But the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for all people, and he's calling us to go and to share it with other people. He's calling us to go to help people get caught up in his grace and experience the release that he desires for them. Release from everything holding them back from becoming the person that he wants them to be. And when you go out and when you help share the good news of Jesus with someone else and you see them get caught up in the grace of God, then you will go out and you will do it again and again and again and again. Because you will be, begin discovering the purpose that God has for you, the purpose that God has for us to share that good news. And so one of the big questions then is how do we do it? How practically do we share our faith with other people? And the challenging thing is that Jesus didn't leave us some strict blueprint. Sharing our faith and fishing for people looks different in different contexts and different cultures. But in our context and in our culture, there is one method that I think is very effective. And so I'm going to do a little poll here to see if it holds true for, for our community and for our church. And so if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to think back. Think back to when you first learned about Jesus, that he was the Messiah. He came and walked this earth. He performed miracles. He, he died upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose again on Easter, defeating death. I want you to think back to when you really began to understand the good news, to give your life over to Jesus Christ and say, you know what, I want to follow you. I want to give my heart to you. Think back to when that was in your life or or the, the season of life that that was in. And now I want you to think about this question. Did you have a personal relationship with somebody, a pastor, a parent, a coworker, who helped you in that relationship or helped introduce you to Jesus or learn more about him or answer your questions, if you had someone help you along the journey that you knew personally, would you raise your hand? Yeah. The majority of us. 
the majority of us came to know Jesus Christ because somebody in our sphere of influence shared him with us. And the thing is, look, there's a lot of ways that, that you can come to faith. I mean, there, there's revivals, there's camp meetings, there's TV preachers. There are so many different ways, and I'm not saying those are bad ways at all. A lot of them are great ways. But for us in our culture, I believe the most effective way for us to share our faith is to share it with people in our sphere of influence. And God has given each of us a sphere of influence. Eight to 15 people in our lives who we come into contact with on a regular basis who I believe God has placed in our life on purpose and for a purpose. And so I want you to begin thinking about these people. And actually, if you turn over on the back of your bulletin, um, there's kind of some, some help there. And I, I want you to take your bulletin. And I got a little graphic here, and this, this mimics the graphic on your bulletin. We have a number of different types of relationships in our lives that make up of our sphere of influence. We have friends, neighbors, relatives, people at school. If you're a student, you have people at work. You have other random relationships. Some people call this our oikos. Now, I'm not talking about oikos, the Greek yogurt that you eat for breakfast. Oikos in Greek means extended household. Each of us has an extended household or a sphere of influence. And I want you to begin jotting down who those people are. You'll see some blanks on your sheet. There's eight blanks right there. I want you to take a minute, really, and begin writing down some of those names, those people who are in your sphere of influence. These are people that make up your oikos. And I have eight blanks there, but most of us have, have more than that. I want you to begin thinking about those people who God has placed in your life. And it doesn't matter whether they share your faith or not. I mean, for me, it would be Emily. It would be some people here at this church who you know, are leaders I come into contact with on a more regular basis, other staff here at the church. Be family members, some friends I keep up with and talk to on a regular basis. I want you to jot down some names there for your oikos. Because what you'll discover when you look at your sheet is that some people on there are, are already Christians. They've already been caught up in the grace of God, and that's good news. And God is calling you to help encourage them in their faith, to help spur them on. There's other people on there. Maybe, maybe they know Jesus, but they've kind of faded away from church and um, Christian community, and maybe they're not really living out their faith much. And, and I believe God is calling those people on your list. He's calling you to help energize them in their faith. But my guess is there's still, there's still other people. Other people on your list who haven't yet gotten caught up in the grace of God and experienced the release and the life that He desires for them. And no one is better suited to sharing the gospel with them than you are. No one. I mean, think about it. You already have a relationship with them. So you don't have to go out and, and to build some kind of new relationships or extend yourself further. No, you already have a relationship with them. Hopefully you've been modeling the love of Jesus to them on a consistent basis already. 
You probably talk to them on a regular basis. So if issues of faith come up in a conversation, they're going to be more natural. And as you begin talking about faith, they can't just dismiss you as a caricature like they can Christians on TV or, or Christians they read about in our culture. And if you invited this person to church, they would have somebody to sit with them on a Sunday morning and they wouldn't have to come and sit by themselves. God has placed people in our lives on purpose and for a purpose. And I think that list in front of you is a group of those people for you. And I've been thinking about all of this lately because as our culture changes, fewer and fewer people are, are just going to pull up to our church and pull in the parking lot and visit us. I said this to our leadership team recently. The days of, of Field of Dreams churches are over. They're coming to a close. Field of Dreams, you know that? If you build it, they will come. Yeah, some people will come. A lot of people won't because they'd rather sleep in on Sunday morning. They'd rather go to brunch. They'd, they'd rather go to the ball fields. A lot of people aren't looking for something to do on Sunday morning anymore. And so, look, we can, we can have great preaching. and Hopefully, we do have great preaching. We can put an ice cream truck. We can, we can have food trucks. We can have a big bounce houses. We can do all of that stuff. And we're going to draw some people. But there are still thousands and thousands of other people who aren't just going to step foot on our church no matter how engaging, no matter how fun, no matter how great our environment is on Sunday morning. Because some of them have been burned by the church. They don't want anything to do with the church. There's thousands and thousands of people like that in our community. But the good news is that we're already connected to many of those people. We already have relationships with them in this community in Henry County and beyond. God has placed them in our lives on purpose and for a purpose. And we're suited to be channels of God's grace towards them. And he's calling us to do that. And so this morning, I want you to take home that bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, you can grab it on the way out. And I want you to begin making that list of your sphere of influence, of those 8 to 15 people. And I want to encourage you to put it on your refrigerator. And in this next season, to begin praying for those people to begin encouraging people, to begin um, energizing people, and especially for those people who don't yet know God's grace. I want to encourage you to invest in those relationships, to be intentional about showing them the love of Jesus with your words and with your actions. I want to challenge you to, to invest in them, but not just invest, also to invite, to invite God into that relationship. I'm going to challenge you to invite them to church to be a part of what's going on here. And the good news is that God is already at work in that relationship. God's grace, His provenient grace, which goes before us, is already there drawing people to Himself. But He wants to use us. He wants to use us to be a part of His work in the world. And He wants fishing for people and living all of this stuff out to be one of our first priorities in life. God wants to make a difference in the world and a difference in someone else's world through 
you. So this morning, as we sing our final song together, I want you to think about one of those people who doesn't yet know Jesus. And I want to invite you to to pray for them in your seat as you sing, or if you want to come up here at, at the altar and you just want to kneel and pray for them specifically. God wants to use you. God wants to use us to help people experience his goodness and his grace. And my hope is that we'll take Jesus up on that mission as a church. Would you stand and sing with us?